Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Welcome, one and all, to Storybox, the place to be if you are a lover of stories learning, growth, anyone to improve your life. My name is Jay Phantom and I've made it my purpose to unbox and share the amazing stories from people of every profession all over the world. I am truly grateful that you have decided to listen in today. Now let's journey into the story box together and hear more about whose story will be unboxed today. Thank you, each and every one of you, for tuning in and listening to this week's episode of the Storybox podcast. This one is a very special one because I have a good friend of mine, uh, Josh Perry. Now, if you don't know who Josh Perry is, uh, you're in for a real treat because this guy's story is absolutely insane. Uh, He survived five brain tumors. He is still living with brain tumors right now now josh and i connected a couple of months ago and originally we uh, only scheduled for one interview but we had such an in-depth conversation that i had to bring him on again so this is a special conversation a special edition of the story box where i've combined two conversations into one episode for you guys so you're getting uh two for the price of one uh as as the saying goes but this is a awesome, awesome story. His mindset is one to really behold and really marvel at. Now, if you don't know who Josh Perry is, I'm going to read out his bio in a moment and then we're going to dive into the story box. But I guarantee you, you're not going to want to tune out of this episode. I know it's going to be a long one, uh, but trust me, it is going to be tremendous. Josh Perry was born and raised in Cape Cod. His father brought him his first BMX bike when he was just a kid and it almost immediately consumed his life. Josh worked tirelessly at perfecting his craft while his mother drove him all over the country for camps, sessions and competitions. At age 17, Josh was given an opportunity to train with the best of the best and though it was uh, thousands of miles from home and he had not yet graduated high school, he didn't think twice and he moved to Greenville uh, where Josh uh, moved up the, to the professional level of competition quickly and was riding uh, due tours, X Games, and competing internationally at the highest possible level. Josh felt as if everything he had been working for his entire life and everything he had ever dreamed about was playing out in front of his eyes and he was only 21 years old. 
He felt like he had everything, but after a nasty crash, his life was threatened. Josh had hit his head and went to a local urgent care to make sure something more serious wasn't happening. He had no damage from the crash, but there was a brain tumor taking up the left half of his brain. Immediate surgical removal was necessary. Josh came out okay and defied all odds by getting back on his bike only five weeks later. That was in 2010. Now, almost a decade later, Josh's life has shifted in some wonderful and unexpected ways. After two more brain tumor diagnoses, he began researching health and nutrition. He was determined to prioritize his health and take the longevity of his life and the vitality of his brain into his own hands. Josh became uh, certified through the Institute of Integrative Nutrition as a health coach, and he also became uh, certified through Nutrigenic.com as a keto specialist. He read countless research articles, stacks of books, and communicated with every expert he could. All of Josh's research led him to cultivating a life where consciousness, love, health, and happiness are his first priority. He takes full responsibility for his mental and physical state of being, and he feels like a happier, healthier, and more productive individual as a result. Josh has now since recovered from five brain tumors. Five brain tumors, let that sink into your head. And his mindset, like I was telling you in the very beginning, is something everyone needs to learn from. And we dive into everything. I mean, everything in this conversation. There's a lot that we share. So if you do get something from this episode, please share it around to anyone that you know. I only ask, this is all free. I only ask you do one thing, please, and that is rate and review um, on Apple Podcasts. That is sort of the ROI, the return on investment uh, for me so we can help build this incredible community and help change the lives and hearts of many more people around the world. Your support is super, super appreciated. Thank you so much. So you guys know what time it is. That's right. So jump on the bike, BMX bike more or less, and dive into the story box, through the hoops, over the ramps, and listen to Josh Perry's story while we're at it. How about that, right? Yeah, thank you for having me. I appreciate uh, you connecting and reaching out and giving me the opportunity to share. It's an absolute pleasure, my friend. I want to do this interview a little bit differently to what I normally do other interviews for because this one I believe is very, very important for a lot of people to hear and you and you guys listening will know exactly why shortly. Um, but for those of you who don't know who Josh Perry is, you're about to find out. Um, but before I, I ask you, I guess, your backstory, I have one question that I normally ask people. Now, I don't really have... I didn't really prepare set questions. Um, I wanted this to be as organic as I possibly could. But the one question that I did prepare that I always ask everybody is what is your definition of success? To me, a success is just doing what you want and being healthy and happy along the way and helping other people. Mm. Where did it come from for you? Was it more or less like a gradual thing over time or was there more like a catalyst moment somewhere along the line? I feel like it wasn't very clear to me until being diagnosed with a brain tumor after a crash, which is the, I guess, like the shift in my story. And from there, it just opened my eyes to what was important 
um, beyond just my own terms of survival and success. And that's kind of where it started. Well, man, so going, you mentioned, you touched on the brain tumor there for a moment, but before we dive into that section of your life, which is quite important, did you always want to be a BMX rider? No, that started when I was about 13. I actually, my, my dream, I grew up in sports, you know, baseball and basketball were my favorite to play. And, uh, the ones I played in school and on teams. And so it, there was some point where it shifted along the journey to wanting to become, you know, a basketball player. I wanted to go to UNC Chapel Hill, North Carolina, that's where Michael Jordan went. And I wanted to be in the NBA one day and all that stuff. And then, uh, you got exposed to skateboarding and rollerblading, you know, action sports, about 11, 12 or so. And then, um, noticed BMX bikes could ride in the same ramps and saw it on X games one year and got a BMX bike for Christmas, my 13th, uh, Christmas, right? After, my birthday is in November. So it was right after that. And actually along the way, I was riding uh, dirt bikes with my cousin and I didn't have one myself, but he did. And so on the weekends I'd ride with him. And I got a BMX bike because my parents couldn't afford a dirt bike. And that's what, you know, propelled me to where I am today. So I'm super grateful for that because, you know, I'm like five, nine. So I don't know if the NBA would have worked out the way I wanted to. And then, you know, I wanted a dirt bike. Next best thing was a BMX bike. And, you know, it's taken me around the world and it's literally and figuratively saved my life. I'm five, seven, man. So I completely understand what you mean by the high aspect <laughs> of wanting to play basketball, but not kind of reaching that that height aspect, but man, I was a, um, I was a power forward in, in school. That was my, that was my game. They called me the garbage collector because I used to just pick up all the trash, uh, in terms of the rebounds, the, the offensive boards, defensive boards, and just, just be an absolute bruiser on the, on the court. Um, and I was only a little guy, wasn't exactly the biggest, but I just out hustled and outworked everybody on the court. But you know, alas, I am short. I, yeah probably wouldn't have worked out for me in terms of that career. But I'm, I'm curious to know for you, when you picked up the BMX bike, what was it about the BMX riding that you loved more than basketball? Or what sort of changed your perspective on, hey, I can actually do this more than I can with uh, basketball? There's just so many elements, you know, like the freedom of travel, you know, not having a license at the time, obviously, um, but being able to just ride away to my friend's house or ride to the bike and skate parks or just go to my, you know, go anywhere. Um, it was, it was like a sense of freedom to me. You know, I grew up with a, a really rough childhood with, you know, a stepfather that was abusive. And so, um, being able to put my energy into something creative and, at my own pace, you know, I could set my own goals consciously and unconsciously. I could, you know, I could travel, I could just escape. And it was, you know, all the aggression I had for the most part, I was able to release it in something. But then the other aspects of like setting these goals and falling and falling and falling, people talk about failure. You know, if you, if you never played a sport, you know, you're going to have a different definition of failure than an athlete of, of any kind or a musician or an artist, something, someone, and I, I argue most people, majority of people, if not everyone, because to do something, you have to fall down, figuratively speaking, pick yourself up again, and then go, go, go until you get it. And then progression as a human being. So there was that sense of satisfaction that, you know, gratification from, you know, um, trying a trick and falling the pain physically and mentally, but the determination to land it because it was something you saw, uh, someone else do and you wanted to do it. So it was like that drive and that, that, that 
feeling once you land that trick. And I've, I've taken years to land tricks, even in my professional career, um, many injuries or, you know, things like that. And it's just like, it, it's, there's no better feeling than like trying of any part of life, trying to accomplish something and then accomplishing it and then being like, wow, all right, what's next. And so that was another element that, that stood out to me a lot was just, you know, setting these goals and then the feeling of accomplishing those goals and then progressing to what's next. When, when you, uh, did your first failure as, as you call it, uh, and you, did you like, didn't make your first landing, why did you want to get back up and do it again? What made you want to keep going? Well, at the time it was just something I wanted to do, but now reflecting and, you know, the, the, you know, knowledge I have, it was just, my vision was greater than my circumstances. So the, the, the thing that I saw in my mind that I wanted so bad outweighed the temporary pain. And, uh, I've become a big fan of Eric Thomas over the last year. Or so, you know, someone that's, um, to me, you know, as like as aspiring speaker, um, a lot of, um, inspiration and motivation comes from him. And he talked about on his podcast the other day or the other week, it was like delayed gratification. And that's something that I feel like the, the kids growing up today, um, and even my generation, like don't really understand that, but because I had that athletic background and that, you know, action sports is, it's really painful. You I mean, you get tackled, it's painful, but when you fall 15, 20 feet to the flat ground from your bike, it, that hurts. Um, but yeah. I think that that instilled so much in me moving forward today that, um, you know, it's, it's tough. I mean, we're humans, we're designed to suffer because we set these desires and if we don't have them now. We get frustrated, we get anxious, we get stressed. Um, but I think that that, that aspect of BMX helped me understand things that I want aren't going to come right now in order to get it, I have to put the work in. Yeah. You mentioned there for a moment that your father was very abusive growing up. Uh, and I think I, we need to touch on this a little bit because with all the issues that are happening with the world right now, it seems to be because of coronavirus, you know, I didn't want to bring this up, but I think it's so powerful. Um, there's been a, an increase in mental and physical abuse. Was your father more of the physical or the mental side of abuse for you? So to be clear, my father, he, he's been in my life, um, my entire life. He was not the abusive one. Um, my brother's dad, who my mom married when I was about three, I'd say. Um, yeah. So I grew up with him. So, um, mental and physical to my brother, myself and my mom, um, later learned that he was bipolar, um, you know, had a drug and alcohol problem. Um, and then, you know, getting into the NLP emotional intelligence, you know, that, that, that type of work today and, um, researching that I actually just went through an exercise with my coach of, you know, writing a letter to, um, you know, forgive my stepfather for all the anger and, you know, all the negative emotions I held on to, but then asking for my forgiveness for judging him. Cause I don't know his past. So, uh, but yeah, growing up, I mean, it was, it was, um, really interesting to see the route my brother and I took moving forward. Um, because to me, I had this model of my father who I idolized at the time, you know, I wanted to be like him that he, he still plays sports today. He's almost 60 years old. And I grew up in that sport sports uh, mindset. And so I played all the sports and I wanted to be like my dad. Um, but he was, um, he taught me how to be a compassionate person. And um, the one time he ever spanked me, and I'll remember this for the rest of my life, I was about nine years old and I was staying with him for a year because things in my household, my, my stepfather got so bad 
um, I stayed with my dad for a year and there was one time I misbehaved and he spanked me and he came back in 15 minutes later crying, apologizing. And he just like spanked me on the ass, you know, typical, you know, but he just was so heartbroken. And, um, I just, that was the last day that, um, or the only, one and only time anything like that ever happened. But from how he interacted with my mom, um, my stepmom, who they've been together almost 20 years now, um, his friends, you know, I, I witnessed both sides of the spectrum of who is a, a man and an adult that I wanted to become. And I had that choice. So I had this, this pain that I wanted to, to escape, but I also had this uh, model of who I wanted to be like. And so, um, reflecting now it's easier. It's always easier to reflect in the past, you know, but that's been a part of my, my work. Um, my inner work is, what can I learn from these, these past events? Like what is the good in these, which is super challenging. Um, but then as you mentioned now with what we're seeing, um, there's, there's a lot of abuse happening and I, I don't think it's ever been, um, any different. I think, um, actually Joe Rogan was just talking about this. Um, we're able to see so much because of our phones and the internet that information travels and it's not like um actually no it was russell brand i was listening to his podcast today um he had some um yeah yeah he, he's amazing and he he had this um professor out of the uk speaking about racism and the guy was like what we just witnessed yeah was was horrific but it's nothing new. The only difference now is someone captured it on film and made it real for the majority of us that either can't relate to that or just didn't believe it or just we didn't see it. But now it's so much more real because we can see it. And I think that's something that's really interesting right now. What we're seeing is we're able to witness behavior. Like right here, I live out in Raleigh, North Carolina, right outside in Durham, North Carolina. And just last night, and they're already staging another protest right now that turns into a riot. We have we have so much anger and sadness and it's manifesting. And it's it, people talk about, oh, the world's so heavy right now. It's so negative and so dark. We just need more positivity and light. And it's like, it's always been there. It's just what we choose as society to share and to see. And as human beings, we're hardwired to be addicted to that stress and that drama because that means survival, whether we're conscious of it or not. Um, and I think that's what's happening right now. And so for me to have gone through my own traumas and to have these perspectives on it, I try to take that, you know, kind of open-mindedness approach and just think about the pain that maybe someone's going through or have gone through to be acting in that manner. And that's that's my part of trying to be responsible is trying to be responsible in how I react. And that's that's a huge mission to uh, to take on. But I'm really grateful for how young I've been um, throughout this journey. When I was 21, when I got told I may or may not wake up, whether I had the surgery or not. And so the last 10 years of my life has been, you know, exploring the self-development, growth and development uh, world. And I'm very fortunate to uh, have experienced that. But I think that's all we're seeing today. It's just there's a light being shined on what was there that people either didn't know or just wanted to, you know, kind of push away because they didn't want to believe that, you know, things are that horrific happening. Yeah, I, I remember reading uh, a couple of books on this very, very topic in the first place. You know, it is nothing new. The only thing that is new is the fact that people are sharing it a lot more. And the digital age is quite a very negative age as well, if you choose it to be. So it always comes back to that choice of, okay, yes, this information is out here for me to look at and for me to digest. But if I'm going to digest it and think that this is the, the be all and end all, 
that's going to just affect my my emotions and it's going to make more of an impact on me than it is somebody else. So you have a choice to make whether or not what is happening in the world is all doom and gloom and you want to think it like that. Or if you want to spin that around and and make it real for your life, be very mindful of it, but don't allow it to affect your relationship with other people. Don't allow it to affect your own positivity, your own energy, because that's important. And I think we're seeing what's going on in the world is very, very interesting because it's a heightened, it's a more heightened awareness of what is happening. Whereas before everyone could just think they could swipe it under a rug and no one would care. No one would do anything about it. But now you've got ample ability like to try and achieve justice or what, what the law claims is justice, not real actual justice. It always comes down to, hey, well, what is it really? Like, is it actually arresting the man that killed another person? Or, you know, all these questions that people are asking themselves, what is it? <laughs> uh, and I think we're just seeing a lot of it um, just play out in, in today's society, which is very interesting to see, but it's also very scary in, in a sense that you've got young people looking at this and not actually knowing what to do with the information. And so it affects their mentality, it affects the way they see the world, it affects the way they treat people at the same time. So it has a flow on effect, and which is why I try and talk about this uh, as much as possible and try and speak to young people that, look, if you are struggling with social media, first and foremost, get off it. it just detach yourself from it because all that negativity, you are what you put into yourself. As, as cliche as that may sound, it's cliche because it's true. But what you're talking about, Josh, uh, you had a choice to make. I mean, you saw how your stepfather treated your mother, your brother, and yourself. And you had a choice whether or not you wanted to go down the same road, which you could have. And I'm curious to know, man, why you didn't in the first place. I'm always curious about that. Um, and we'll get back to that in a moment, sorry. But And then more or less like trying to think of things that are actually going to help you in your life because it's not an easy job because you are right. We are conditioned to think negative, negatively. We are conditioned to do all the evil things. That's just in our nature. And it is a constant struggle daily to do the right thing. So for you, man, seeing all this negativity around you growing up and having to be part of it, why didn't you choose to go down that road? Well, so you said we have a choice and we often don't understand that we have a choice. Um, and for me, like I said, I had my father and my mother and the majority of people in my life that were very supportive, very loving. And so to me, that weighed more on the, against the temporary pain I was experiencing for someone I did not respect and did not care for. I did at one point, you know, but that's a part of someone being bipolar and manipulative is at points growing up, he was my best friend, which was, I just wrote about that. And it was super eye-opening to reflect on that point. But moving forward, it just, there was this vision in my head, this ideal version of how I wanted to be, how other people were treating me and then experiencing and becoming conscious of what that felt like and what that did for me and what that did to propel me towards my goals. And so 
I made an unconscious choice at the age that I wanted to pursue this path of becoming a BMX athlete, which led me to dropping out of high school, moving 13 hours south to North Carolina to train with Dave Mira, my idol, and became a mentor and a friend of mine, a competitor, um, things like that. But I think it was just the positivity and how that felt that led me down that path because it just outweighed the negativity that was temporary. And so, like you said earlier, you know, we do have a choice. And when it comes to social media, when it comes to the, the media in general, which is nothing but toxic crap, um, we have that choice. And for me, I learned along the way, man, like I I'm watching something and it's triggering this limiting belief or this anger or this, this guilt or this resentment or this jealousy. I don't like it. So I'm gonna stop following that person. And, and then it became like, all right, I, I'm getting, I'm getting a lot of feedback in a positive way from watching. And, and to be honest, uh, back in 2013, Joe Rogan was one of the first people that I took on as a virtual mentor, as I refer to them, like just the, the content, the words and the perspective. I was like, man, like there's something to this. This is amazing. And that led me down, you know, the nutrition route and the people I learned from there. And then like Dr. Joe Dispenza, like four years ago, and like all these amazing thought leaders in their own worlds. It just, it, it became that choice that I recognized that I want to follow these people, whether that's on social media, that's a book or whatever, like, cause it makes me feel good and inspires me and it's shifting my thoughts and the way I think. But like I said, also the catalyst to all that was to being conscious to it and actually pursuing changing my identity as a human being and what I did on a daily basis, what I felt, what I thought, how I showed up and treated other people was being 21 and being told my life was going to go away. I had a shot, but it is still a chance to make go away. That woke me up. And I refer to it like as my wake up calls. It was the three different brain tumor diagnosis over the last 10 years, you know, blowing out my knee, like going through depression, like being broke, like all these things reflecting on them now, it's something that I try to encourage others is to look through the lens of my life to not have to be forced to change your perspective. But like Dr. Joe says, like choose out of joy and inspiration to change how you view the world, not pain and suffering. Like I went through pain and suffering, literally almost lost my life a few times and actually flatlined, uh, hit my head so hard at the contest that, that I woke up in ambulance. But I don't want people to go through those things. And I don't think they need to. I think I needed to because I was that stubborn and I was able to overcome and share it with other people. Mm -hmm. And that's something I, I take very, uh, very serious is I didn't just go through all the stuff I've gone through just to keep it for myself. And the, the, your first question, what does success mean to me? That's what success means to me is take care of myself, be healthy and happy. But it's, it's not just by myself. You know, I want my friends, my family and strangers to experience the same thing because you know, part of spirituality is, is understanding we're all connected and we're connected to the earth. We're connected to the universe. Like it doesn't matter what religion you follow or what beliefs you have. Like we are all connected and at the core of every belief of, you know, spirituality or religion or anything. It's, it's that. And that's just something that I want other people to experience. And I went through the hard way and I was able to, and I'm able to laugh about it. I'm able to take joy from that. I'm able to take wisdom from that and not make those same mistakes you know, not saying I'm not going to make mistakes, but the ones I know of, I'm not going to make them. Um, and I want other people to experience that too, because that's, to me, that's success. And it's not, it's not about getting to the top and being by yourself, you know, figuratively speaking, whatever that means to you, it's about enjoying those wins with other people and seeing them win as well. Mm, I love that, man. And it's so true. I think in failure as well, because it sounds like you've had a lot of failures and I have myself in my own life, which has taught me one main thing, which is, which is very, very important that a lot of people need to understand 
today that in failure you learn humility and bringing you to a state of realization that you're not better than somebody else, that you're still a human being, that there are people out there that do know more than you and just being willing and open enough to accept reality for what it actually is, which is the hardest thing for a person to actually go through is the acceptance process. You know, it's like the, the stages of grief, you know, like you go through a, a failure, you feel crap about yourself, you get denial, anger, the whole bit. And the hardest one out of all those I've always found to be accepting how it is because we don't want to accept it. It's like we're hit with it like a ton of bricks and we don't know how to respond to it properly. But then when it hits us, we're almost like, well, I don't want to accept that because that hurts and it's gone or it's a loss of a friend or we've, we've been in other pain, you know, pain's inevitable, but the amazing thing is it's our, our choice and our reaction to that pain that determines the outcome, determines where we go from that. And I've, I've known so many people, man, I don't know about you, but the, the moment they hit failure, they, they crumble. Like there's, there's no way of, for them to get out of it. And they, they get stuck in this, this massive routine that the moment they get a little bit of a win, they fall right back into the failure again. And they just, they just, constantly climbing for that little little bit but just keep going deeper and deeper and deeper it's almost like they're they're sinking further into the ocean and they're constantly climbing and climbing climbing or, or swimming to the surface but they can't reach the surface they can't get get any air but understanding that that's okay it's part of life and doing the best that you possibly can in whatever failure whatever failure you've experienced to be positive to know that it's going to be ultimately okay is, is the key, I think. Uh, so for you, man, I mean, just reading your bio uh, the other day and even this morning as well, just reflecting on some of the things you've had to endure. I mean, you've had near-death experiences. You've been flatlined as well. Um, how are you feeling in that moment when, when someone, basically you're faced with reality, you're faced with the fact that you are human. How are you feeling in that moment? Yeah. I mean, in those moments, of course you feel it. we're human. Like it, you feel the pain, you feel the hurt and the sadness and the fears. Mm -hmm. um, but something about, I think what you were, we were speaking about that was lacking from it was where you were going was acceptance. The reason we don't accept that we failed, you know, that we messed up or someone passed, you know, or whatever it is, or we're sick. It's like, because once we accept it, it's real in our brain, our ego is hardwired to protect us from anything that is presenting discomfort. Yet we get in the cycle that we're addicted to the chemical emotions of fear, stress, and drama, because that's comfortable. And so to accept reality is to then make a change or make a choice to change or not. Now change is super hard because we get addicted to that comfort zone. And once you go to do something different, your body freaks out. It's like, well, I don't know this. And the ego steps in and protects you, but it's protecting you for something that's unknown, which is the majority of our population's problem right now is we're perceiving these fears and these stressors and these unwanted events that aren't real, but they trigger an emotion that is real and our physiology changes. And then we don't act. So when it comes to failure, you have to accept that it wasn't a failure. You just tried something and you collected data. And that's what I refer to it as now. It's just you're collecting data along the way. And the more you do things, you know, 
Kerwin Ray is one of my favorite virtual mentors and I've actually got to hang out with him a couple of times and consider him a friend and he's helped me understand this even more. Like in order to grow, you have to have stress. In order to learn, you have to have failures. Once you can accept that and you can let go of the judgment that you're putting on yourself from other people because you're making it about you, then the rest is easy once you let go of that. And that's something too that I, I've come to learn. It's like, you know, my fear of public speaking, ironically, you know, making a career out of a public speaker today. Um, it was always because I was worried about people judging me. I wasn't worried about what my mission, what I was trying to accomplish. And that's part of purpose. You know, Simon Sinek's work about your why, your purpose, you know, like it's, 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 it's finding the purpose in what you're doing beyond yourself. Once you're worried about nothing besides the people you're trying to help, and if you don't, you're not clear on that, that's step one is figuring out who you're trying to help beside yourself. Um, then the rest becomes easy. You know, fear is easier to handle and let go of. And that's a lot of the work I've been doing, uh, you know, in the inner world. Um, it, it's about acceptance. And, you know, you know, you mentioned, you know, the loss of a loved one, like my brother took his life two years ago, um, after he, like two weeks after he turned 26. And then two, two years before that, my mentor, Dave Mira took his life and was diagnosed with CTE. Those were two of the most devastating points in my life. Those were the most difficult points in my life. But accepting the reality and accepting that I don't want to feel like that anymore and to feel like that moving forward is going to do them a just justice, that was really hard to accept. But it's helped me in so many ways and it's helped me honor them in more ways than me just feeling sorry for myself like I wanted to. Because that's easy. Because that's that that's what we know, and that's what the emotions are. But um, so I think at the end of the day, it comes down to acceptance. If you can accept your reality for what it is, and not put meaning to it, or at least irresponsible meaning that's going to cripple you, then you can move forward. And it's like there, there is no like you can't change reality um, of current reality, but you can change moving forward. It's like bad things happen all the time. I have this excuse. To, I, I always talk about um, accountability and acceptance of your actions and, you know, responsible, responsible. That's what that word breaks down to. And people always throw these dramatic experiences at me, like examples, like what about someone that just gets into a car accident or someone gets jumped or something? Yeah, that's reality, but you still have a choice moving forward. Oh, that happened. I've had bad shit happen to me over and over again, just like everyone else. But the difference is how you move forward, how you choose to consciously move forward and be aware of your unconscious thoughts because that's where it starts. And if you set off those, uh, um, I call it like subconscious alarms, that's step one because then you, you realize what you don't want and what's happening and then you can move forward because you understand where you are. You can make a plan moving forward. Mm. So you mentioned there for a moment this idea of purpose and for a young person sort of searching for their purpose, how long... Did it take you or how long does it usually take for someone to actually find their purpose? Like I know for me, it took me up until like last year for me to actually really find my purpose. And, you know, I went through a period of life where I was lost for a, for a long, long period of time. So what would you say to a young person that is lost and is trying to find their purpose? What would you say to them? So I would just say, don't rush the process. You know, for me, reflecting on what led me to my purpose was going through all the events, you know, all, all like at first it started, my purpose was just to uh, satisfy self. It was fueled by spite and anger, but it was to leave the pain and suffering. 
and to make my dream happen. Um, again, fueled by spite and anger for the most part. And then, you know, one brain tumor diagnosed at the other, I got really clear on what my purpose was and why this wasn't just happening to me, which is a human trait. We make meaning to things that happen in our lives. But to me, that meaning was to help other people because I started to notice after in 2010, after the first diagnosis, when I had surgery, got back riding, like I was actually riding five weeks later. It was insane. Um, doing interviews, sharing that experience, so many people thanked me and it, because it helped them do whatever it was, you know, start something or get back into doing something at all ages beyond just BMX bike riding or action sports or sports. And then I started to notice the more I get interviewed, the more I shared and the more I shared on my own, the more that kept happening. And then, so each wake up calls, I refer to them as the brain tumor diagnosis. The third one uh, was February, 2017. I just came off my best year competing and that was after an ACL reconstructive surgery mm-hmm. and was just like, not even devastated at that point. I was just like, what do I do with this? Sorry, my dog puppy right behind me <laughs> scratching. So, but I was like, I didn't even miss a beat when I got the news. I was like, all right, this is here to help me to help other people. Yeah. And that's when I walked away from competition. I decided to stop fulfilling or to stop living my current dream or my past dream for a new dream of mine, which I wasn't even aware that the whole time before I was inspiring people by just doing what I wanted to. I I would challenge the status quo and the norm of what you should do after school, which I didn't even finish high school. I went on finished later on, but that right there was inspiring people to change their perspective of what was possible for them. And then moving forward, you know, I was like, all right, well, I can show people, even more what's possible for them because I'm I'm doing it today for myself. Mm-hmm. And so when someone's asking me like, how do I find my purpose? It's like, start with you. You, you know, it's the oxygen mass analogy. You can't help other people until you help yourself. So if you're not clear about your purpose, find what you enjoy doing and do it. And things are going to come. There's no, there's no like magic answer to this. It's, it's about experience, which brings upon education and that brings upon clarity. And the more you do things, the more you're going to get information from all your sensory input. And the more you're going to make connections and be like, one day it's going to hit you like it did for me. I, I hope for other people, it's my goal. They don't have to go through life altering, you know, devastating experiences to get that clarity. But sometimes it is, but think about how strong you're going to be after that. So to your, to your original question, there's, there's no, I mean, you know, this, there's no magic answer. It's just, it's, I think it's about as much experience as you can get, which is going to cause a lot of pain, a a lot of, you know, that's just part of the human journey. But I think that's key is experience. And it's about understanding that you got to ask questions and not be afraid to ask people questions, man, because that's how you learn. And, you know, I think for me as well, growing up and, and me, if I was to reflect on my life, like my grandfather used to tell me all the time, he's like, if you don't ask, you don't get. Don't be afraid to ask someone a question. If someone doesn't have an answer for you, go and ask somebody else that might. If someone, if no one has an, an actual answer for your question, it is okay. Like, but the process of actually searching out the answer to that question will make you learn in the first place. It is building up your confidence. It is making you actually think of things that are necessary for you to actually improve upon in, in your own life, which is like, why am I actually reaching out in the first place? I have a question. <laughs> I'm building upon my purpose every step of the way. And the more you do that, the more questions you'll have. And that's just, that's just how, I, how I found 
my life to be is the more questions I started asking, the more curious I was, then the more I started growing, like doing this right now with you, man, I'm learning and I'm growing as a result from your story. So always going back to that is an important, is an important thing for a young person to, and understanding there is no shortcuts. There are no secret remedies or I think everyone's sort of looking for that. They're, they're always looking for the shortcut because they don't want to go through the pain. They don't want to go through the, the hard yards. And that's understandable, man, because it hurts. Like, it sucks. <laughs> but understand that if we didn't go through the pain, we wouldn't be stronger. We wouldn't be better. And we wouldn't be the people that we are today. So, uh, for a couple of- yeah, 100%. I mean, it's like if you don't touch the stove, you don't know it's hot. So then you don't know that you shouldn't touch the stove. I mean, it's a simple analogy, but pain gives us information. And, um, you know, you mentioned questions. Yeah. That, I think that's the actual number one thing is ask questions. And then I didn't understand that until you mentioned it reflecting, like I call them virtual mentors, you know, like I had so many questions because I was so aware of what I didn't want. So it was like, okay, I don't want this pain. I broke my leg. What do I want? Well, I should probably do that trick differently next time. And that's how literally how you learn uh, BMX tricks. Like you watch, you observe, you ask yourself these inner, you have an inner dialogue, which you're probably not aware at the time, but reflecting now with all the work I've been doing to educate myself, I'm like, all right, I'm very aware of that. But that's, that's where it started with like reaching out. Uh, and a lot, I call them virtual mentors, which some I've been able to meet in person, which is amazing. But the reason why they're virtual mentors is because I couldn't ask them the questions I wanted to. So what did I do? I read their books. I listened to their podcasts. I watched their videos, whatever it was. Um, I think that's everything. And that's why I think you and I share so much and ask these questions and talk with people is because that's part of our purpose is leaving behind a trail for other people to follow. Um, so that, that point is, is brilliant is, is questions. That's, that's the inner dialogue you always have with yourself. You're not aware of is how do I get to there? How do I get that? How do I not feel pain, you know? And not being, not being afraid of rejection either. I think a lot of people are afraid of asking a question because they're afraid of rejection. But I think the worst they can say to you is no. And that's, that's really it. But you go and find somebody else. That's okay. Um, I want to ask you this question, man. What, what is your biggest fear currently or what has been your biggest fear in the past as well? So my biggest fear in the past, which is something I've been working on, is just not believing I'm good enough now that BMX is done. And there was still a sense of that in BMX. And I have no evidence of this, but it's just one of those fears from the ego because I'm doing new things now. And that was, you mentioned it earlier, but like having this self identity crisis type thing when I left BMX competition, which was, you know, I officially accepted that um, just like last year, but it was 2017. I didn't compete. My last contest was October, 2016. Throughout the last few years since then, I just was like going through that change and how terrible that felt because I wasn't training the way I was used to. I wasn't just on a plane to compete. I wasn't doing this. Um, so it was a lot of like, who am I, you know, all these things. Um, and so today it's just, it's about being conscious of those things and what do I want moving forward? And I actually just uh, lost track of what you actually just asked because that sparked that memory of you saying that, like not knowing who you were at some point and just coming clear in your purpose now. Um, and that's something I went through, which I don't think people understand that, like where I was, where I am today, like there was, and I write about it a lot. Um, but there was a, of, of 
pain and the change, but I'm grateful for it now. hundred percent, man. Like if I was to look back on the person that I was in 2015, 2016, 2017, very different person, very angry person, not satisfied, not happy. Didn't really know what I wanted to do. Really. I was kind of angry at a lot of people when I shouldn't have been. I, I was, I think I was more deep down inside. I was just angry at myself for not being confident enough, for not asking enough questions, for not just, you know, putting myself out there a little bit more and, and actually doing something that I really, really wanted to do. And so I was sort of coasting through life a little bit and uh, had this very addictive nature to certain things like I, I, we can touch on it a little bit, but nutrition as well, I didn't understand that. So fitness became sort of my God, my idol, because I could control that. And that led me down a, a very dark road of not being able to just be happy and be content with who I was as a person. I didn't know. I was like, who is Jay Phantom? Like, seriously, I, I have no clue who I am because, you know, you go through school for 13, 14 years and the moment you leave, it's almost like, well, what do I, what, what do, I do now? And it's like, I'm in the big wide world now. I've got all these questions that I'm not being, uh, they're not being answered and I'm, I'm, I'm lost. Like I'm a sponge and I want to, I want to soak up the information, but I can't, you know, it's like when you leave it out to dry, that was me. And I wasn't, I wasn't soaking anything up. And it was partly because I didn't want to as well. And no one was like there to help me. Or I had those people that were sort of draining me out and leaving me out to dry as well. So that analogy is sort of when I, when I, realized that moment which is only last year actually when I sort of woke up it was like this instantaneous moment where it was like what the hell am I doing you know and I began the hard process and it's day in and day out man like it, it's a constant reminder of why you go back to your why and you tell yourself well this is I don't want to go back to this so this is why I'm going this way and it's constantly like refocusing your energy, refocusing your, your mindset into the good things and your, and your why every single day. Yeah. hundred percent. I mean, it's a, it's a daily practice. You know, it's, you don't just go to the gym once and then you're set for the next two months. Like you got to put the work in. <laughs> I wish. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone does. Yeah. yeah but for sure. For you, man, you, you've been through, I believe it is five tumor um recoveries like we haven't really even begun to touch on i guess your, your mindset during that period of time and what actually happened and how, how you went through the, the recovery process so are you able to give people a sort of a brief overview yeah so first first diagnosis uh came from a head injury that led to an MRI to check for TBI that accidentally found it. And to give perspective, if you look at my Instagram somewhere in there, I got to post another photo of it soon, but the, the MRI is on there and it was eight or so centimeters long by four wide and four deep. Um, and a year to a year and a half prior, I had classic symptoms and I kept getting denied a scan. Every time I asked for an x-ray, CAT scan, MRI, something, I didn't know. I just said, there's something wrong. I need a scan. I had a health insurance. Um, all that good stuff, but they just kept writing me off and giving me pain pills, sending me home and told me to come back if I need more. And I trusted them because I was like, you're the doctor. I don't know anything. So at that point, 
leading up to the first diagnosis, I accepted pain and suffering as my life. And just like anything, I was, all right, it's what I got to do. Like I'm, I'm at that point, I was three years into my professional career, just wrote X games was a couple of years on the do tour, you know, paying sponsors, traveling literally around the world at this point. And I was like, all right, well, it's just what I got to do. Like, all right. And that's when my drinking habit actually started. Cause I noticed every two, three, four drinks, um, the pain would start subsiding because the pressure was being relieved and that developed, you know, on top of the already party mindset of living in a college town in North Carolina, uh, didn't go to college, but partied after we rode and we still got up hung over not. And we trained, you know, um, but that was the first diagnosis experience or leading up to it. Now, when I first got diagnosed, I was devastated. I, I explained it as like an out-of-body experience. Like, you know, you watch a movie and the bad news um, comes on or like a war scene or something and like the the video, you know, slow-mos, there's ringing in the, the no- uh, ringing noise in the ear that kicks in and everything's just like time stands still. It's like, this can't be happening. And like, that's how I felt about that moment. But it was my life, not a movie. And I was just like looking down on myself and just all I heard, they, you know, the, the doctor had explained it, you know, we, there's no no swelling, no bleeding. So I checked out. And I remember standing up and like, all right, cool. So when can I ride? Like what, two weeks? And he was like, no, like it's a little bit more serious than that. Can you sit down? And then he went on to say, well, you had an abnormal scan. I was like, all right, what does that mean? Did I move? Cause I know I twitch when I sleep or I'm falling asleep. Like, do we have to do it again? Cause I know you can't move in MRIs. He's like, no, there's something that showed up on the report that, you know, there's something in your brain that shouldn't be there. And I remember laughing. I was like, what do you mean? Like I clearly can't put anything in my head. So what could be there? And he's like, well, at this point, we don't know if it's benign or cancerous but we do know that um, this growth shouldn't be there. And if you want a shot at living, you have to have surgery immediately to remove it. There's still a chance you may die. You just be prepared. You'll probably never ride your bike again. And so to me, all I heard was cancer. You may die. Never going to ride your bike again. And that's all it took. And then just the, like the ringing in my ears, just that kicked in. I just started lifting out of my seat. Just, and I remember running out. And that, that was where like the first sense of like the victim mentality really kicked in. And I sincerely felt like I was going to die. And I asked myself, why is this happening? What did I do to deserve this? Am I really that bad of a person? Those are the three questions I remember vividly asking myself as I sat in my car, weeping to myself, trying to figure out how to move forward in my life. Because mind you, I was 21 by myself. I drove to the doctor's office that day because I just thought it was an MRI report from a head injury. My family's 14, 13, 14 hours north of me. And that was the news I received. Now, of course, you know, I overcame that. I had surgery about a um, week and a half after that. Went in four weeks later, the four screws, titanium screws they put in, they, the bone fused back together. I didn't know it only takes a month or so for your skull to fuse back together. And then I was back on my bike five, uh, another week later. So a total of five weeks out of surgery, I was back riding. Another eight weeks after that, I was back in England competing. Um, moving forward, November 2012. So that was April 2010, the brain surgery. November 2012, I went through a technology or a treatment called uh, gamma knife radiotherapy, basically a zap the two tumors that grew back. Now, my doctor explained two areas had grown back because once I got in the original surgery, the tumor was wrapped around an artery in my optic nerve. And so the surgery took like six, six and a half hours. They, they thought it was going to be four, but they couldn't hit, risk hitting either of them because I could have had a stroke, become paralyzed, lost my vision, could have bled out and died then there, and then a whole bunch of other um, risk factors. So they suggested radiation and I didn't like that. And I found gamma knife and because of that technology, non-invasive, it's like an MRI, 
does its its magic. And um, the two areas shrunk for about three or four years and been stable ever since. Um, five years later, coming off my best year competing, World Series, ended up 10th in the overall standings because I, I missed one of five points contests because I was recovering from my knee surgery. And uh, it was just on cloud nine going into 2017. Um, three things happened. Before I competed in 2016, my main, my main bike sponsor, my only bike sponsor, my main sponsor dropped me whole political drama issue there. Um, and then going into 2017, my nutrition sponsor got bought out by a major corporation, dropped their sports uh, or the athletic funding um, after we had a great year representing them. Amazing time. So that was two things. And then February came and third brain tumor diagnosis. Right. Now, that was the one and only time I didn't feel sorry for myself. I wasn't angry. I wasn't confused. I just was like, all right, what do I do with this? How do I help other people? How do I help myself? And that's what led me down um, the path of walking away from my dream, starting a health coaching business, teaching people how to improve their health and performance through nutrition and exercise and mindfulness, and have been speaking for um, two years now and creating partnerships with brands around the messaging of optimizing your life, finding a massive intention to do so. And, you know, instilling the belief in people by changing their perspective. You know, I'm not trying to change someone's life, literally just trying to change someone's perspective because that's the catalyst to the rest. So I went from victim mentality to empowerment to, I don't identify with that. I live with four brain tumors today. Third diagnosis, I didn't have any treatment, no medication, surgery. I followed the ketogenic diet the best I could. And now I'm a big advocate of a ketogenic lifestyle. Um, but yeah, I just, that's, that's how I choose to see my life now. It's like things are happening for me, not to me. And then how can I benefit from this? How can I leverage that to benefit me? And then how can I help other people do so? So you still got the brain tumors at the moment? Yeah, I live with four. Um, they're about, some of them are about a blueberry size or smaller. So there's two on either side. Um, the reason they suspect they're coming up is because of a genetic disorder uh, called neurofibromatosis. And when they told me that in 2017, I instantly remembered epigenetics, how ketones themselves, whether you drink them exogenously or produce them in your liver from a high fat, low carb diet, which there's so many pieces that people don't understand, um, that it's actually easier to do than people think if you're not trying to battle epilepsy or cancer. Um, but them saying I had a genetic disorder, I remembered epigenetics, which is gene expression, how lifestyle affects that, stress affects that um, mentally or physically from eating crap, processed food and alcohol and um, overtraining. And so I, I follow that the best I could. And then year after year, MRI show no progression. And I'm confident that we'll see um, either them stabilize like they have been forever or we'll see them going the other way. Um, but yeah, so I, I live with uh with four of them today. So can they can they can you can you remove them or are they just gonna be It's not worth the risk? I mean it, the the original tumor was so large and it it um it resulted in two areas coming back because the location they couldn't risk hitting my optic nerve or the artery. Mm -hmm. And so at this point I, even if they said, yeah, there's no risk in doing it, you know, it's what it's still invasive. It's still toxic. It's still stressful. Brain surgery is a TBI in its own. Um, to me, it's not worth it. I don't need that. I, I know 
the power of my body and the power of my mind through all these different elements I'm practicing and learning more about. And I've been seeing it happen. And so um, even if they, they can, they, they can, you know, cut my skull open and remove them, but it's not going to be worth it. And it's going to cause more damage than good. So um, they agreed with that. And, but I, I, you know, people are like, oh, well, if, you know, if it they ended up turning into cancer, like or malignant can- tumors, would you have chemo or do this? So it's like, no, I would just tighten shit up more. I would probably meditate a lot more during the day. Um, I would probably, yeah, I would change my lifestyle dramatically rather than trying to toxicate myself. Um, I don't know if that's the correct word, but um, go with toxic uh, treatments that are proven to be only effective if your immune system can recover from it. Um, so that's, yeah, that's just why I do what I do. And I'm just so much more focused on what I do want. Cause as you know, the brain doesn't know, I don't want fill in the blank versus I do want fill in the blank. It just gives you whatever that sentence ends with. Like it, it just hardwires you to see that. So I just focus on what I want in my life and I create systems and actions to get there. You're you're true inspiration, man. Like that just literally put my life into perspective for me. You telling me that. And I think I appreciated that because I needed to hear, you know, that my life's not all that bad. There are people out there that, you know, do still live with things in their life that could potentially, you know, be worse, but they're still they're still living the best life they possibly can. And they found it with within gratitude within themselves to actually do that. So, man, I just want to honor you for that, man. Like it, it just, it grounded me. Like, it was like a massive shock to the system right there. And uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm literally lost for words, my friend. Like I, I, I believe we could dive deep into the nutritional aspect as well. Cause that's something else that I'm passionate about talking and, and learning more about as well. But then I guess knowing more about your mindset and where it actually comes from. I think you've been very, very gracious with your time already. And hopefully we get to do this again. I have one question before I sort of let you go and eat your dinner. <laughs> and, and that is uh, you've, reached, you've reached the age, I'm going to put a number on it, but you've reached the age of 100 and your friends have put together a mixtape for you of everything you've ever said and everything you've ever done. What do you want that mixtape to say and to show about your life? I mean, I've, I've, I've thought about this so much. And like, I just want people to say like, yeah, like Josh never, never gave up. Like he was always clear on his purpose to help other people and his vision. Like that's, that's why, that's what my legacy I want to be. And that's what I'm trying to do with other people. It's like, I want them to see what's possible when you actually go after it. And when things happen, that doesn't define you. That that's just an event, but what you put in your mind is forever. And so that, that's, that's what I would want to be known for. Um, and to your other points, we can, we can have more conversations moving forward. You let me know. And, um, to what you shared, I really appreciate you sharing that, but that's my belief of perspective. Like whatever you're experiencing right now, if you're breathing and you're, you're able to hear this podcast, have a phone, have not be hungry or just be alive. It could be much worse. You know, um, and Gary Vee always talks about like 400 trillion to one to be a living human being. It's like, you could be a, a, a tree. Like you could not be you. You could not have these thoughts. Um, but recognizing those, those, those experiences, those feelings, those thoughts, those, those emotions, um, you're able to move forward. But if you're not feeling, you're not living. 
And so that's just something that I've gone through in the most dramatic cases as a human being that someone could ever imagine. I've, I've, I've hit those moments. And so um, that's one of my biggest missions is to instill that perspective that it could always be worse. And I'd rather people not feel the pain on the level that I have mm. to make that decision moving forward. So I'm really glad that um, you, you, you know, you saw that and you felt that. And I, I appreciate you sharing that. And yeah, like I said, we'll, we'll have more conversations. You just let me know when. I, I love our conversations. And that's one of the reasons why I wanted to do part two, because I can speak to you about motivation, inspiration for ages. And, and you're right. I'm an open book as well. So that's what I love about the interaction is we can share stories from your life, my life, but they all somehow relate, which is fascinating. Um, I was actually having a conversation just recently about with uh, Dr. Judd Brewer, who's one of like America's foremost uh, doctors regarding uh, addiction. And there was such a fascinating conversation. We're continuing it tomorrow morning. And in fact, because we didn't have enough time, but this idea of addiction and why people actually struggle with addiction has always fascinated me in, in, in my life and, and some addictions that I've had, had to struggle with over the years with, with my health and with food, uh, even with porn as well, like all these things that I've had to, to deal with. And then I realize now, much later, I'm 23 at the moment, and I'm gone. Well, I've struggled with this all, most of my life. I was exposed to porn when I was 12, became addicted to it up until two years ago. That's when I finally got a hold of it. But at the same time, trying to get a hold of it came another addiction with food and uh, looking at food a very different way and becoming addicted to calories in my body and the way I looked and that was a very uh, negative, you could say, and I became a very negative person, you know, so my energy translated to everybody else. So that's what a lot of young people fail to understand is that your actions will also impact not just you, but other people as well. So you've got to be very careful with the things you say, first and foremost, the things that you do as well, because I, I've always said that you know, actions uh, are expensive, but words are cheap. Words do have meaning, but actions have more power and they hold more gravitas to them. So be very careful, be very mindful. It doesn't mean you have to live a life of fear and anxiety of, oh, if I don't, if I don't do this, if I do this, then it's going to hurt somebody else. No, no, no. You do the best version of you possible, but always be mindful that your actions will not just affect you, but affect others. So dealing with uh, this, this topic of addiction, I realize now that I'm able to help people get over it. And here are the reasons why it's not good to be stuck there. It's not good to look at yourself like you are ugly or look at yourself in the mirror. I think the mirror is like one of the worst inventions ever made, seriously, because it enables people to see them for their, for their true self. When they look at the mirror, they, they, see, they see the perception of who they are. They don't see the real them. And inner beauty, inner worth is not found by looking at yourself in the mirror on, on every single day and seeing the way that you look. True beauty is found with your mindset 
with being grateful once again, being grateful for the fact that you are alive today, being grateful for your friends, your family, for what you've been able to achieve, the fact that you are a human being as well. So all these things, man, that all ties into uh, what we're talking about is working towards inspiring other people that do struggle with this stuff. Yeah, yeah. And um, I think the more you can share the more people see they can relate to you because I find like a lot of people just pick and choose what they want to share and that's their own, right? But I've really opened up to sharing everything because I started to see when I share about this, when I share about that, different people would resonate with me, different people communicate with me, different people would take value from what I had to share. And then when I started connecting different things that I, you know, I was just sharing this and then I was just sharing that. And then I started sharing them together and how they affected me mentally and physically I mean, just my reality in general, it started to make sense for a lot of people and people would pick up their own you know, metaphors from them, make their own connections. And, you know, to your point earlier, yeah, I think it's super important to be mindful of how we show up in our life. And that's, that's the step one of consciousness, like audit how you think, act and feel, because that's going to affect other people. But you have to have the understanding and the belief that other people's emotions, thoughts and actions are not your responsibility. As long as you are not directly trying to harm someone what they think about you, what they feel about you, or what they do has nothing to do with you. It's we're, We all choose unconsciously or consciously how to react and how to act in general in life. And so uh, moving forward to the mirror, I think the mirror can be detrimental in a couple of ways because one, like you said, people only see what they want to see or people would avoid it because of the accountability they'll see, you know, maybe what they don't want to see. Um, and something I had an interesting experience this weekend, um, ate some mushrooms, so psilocybin, and I've learned about people, especially professors talking about, it's a really interesting experience when you look at yourself in the mirror on psilocybin. And I, uh, towards the end, towards the end of my experience, I did that. And I just started tearing up and I just had tears running down my face. Cause I saw beneath the surface of me. So my girlfriend was like, yeah, so what'd you see? And I was like, I saw myself. She's like, well, no shit. But like, and I was like, no, like. <laughs> I saw myself and I just felt this immense amount of gratitude and love. And the more I focused in on just my eyes, the more I started to see like my dad and my brother and just, it was just like a crazy, but beautiful moment. And so I think the mirror, when you like, it's all about intention. And I think that that's the thing, you know, I talk about how, you know, the mirroring effect in life, you know, metaphorically speaking, but when you look at the mirror, you know, you can choose what you're going to look at or what you're going to see by looking at it, or you can avoid it. And so, um, yeah, I, I love that. And I think that that's <laughs> the, my experience recently. I think a lot of people um, would benefit from maybe having a little uh, hallucinogenic experience <laughs> and just being able to see past the surface level of, um, you know, the facade, the avatar that we play, especially on social media. Because I think that gets people hung up a lot is, you know, People, I don't think people understand this in the moment, but like people choose what they want you to see, whether it's a celebrity or it's your friend. Social media is just a reflection of whatever they felt like sharing. Yeah. Even myself, who's open, I don't share everything, good or bad, you know, whatever you want. I don't share everything. And like the last few weeks, I haven't even posted. I just was like, you know, I'm going to wait till July to see how it goes. Like I felt like this weird, like attachment addiction to my phone, just waste of time. And just getting stressed out about trying to post content to, you know, this, this, and that. And I was like, I'm just, I need to live for me. And, you know, like two week period with my brother's birthday and his passing, I was just like, let's just 
avoid everything. And I forget the last time we talked, if this had kicked in or if it happened after, but my coach put me on an educational detox for a month. So no, no books, no educational podcasts or YouTube videos, no workshops, like no learning uh, at all. Correct. And by doing so, I've had to be present with myself. And I was finding my addiction and knowledge was covering up an insecurity of not knowing enough, but also going down this like addiction to stress and having to keep busy. You know, I was trying to read this book and that book every day, do a workshop, listen to a podcast, record a podcast, like all these things. And I just was like feeding that addiction of stress. And now that I've noticed where I'm just like, I feel like my ultimate goal in life is to be free, like to feel free. And I was putting all these constraints on myself to not feel free, but to feel stressed. And then just today, I was just like, you know, I sent her a message and I was like, hey, you know, like, it's so weird. Like things are great right now in every which way. And yet I still have these tendencies to, to need to do something when I, I, you know, I got my goals done for the day. I just need to, I can just relax, but I wasn't allowing myself to relax because I was trying to keep myself busy to unconsciously feed that addiction of stress. And it's super interesting. I find the, the topic of stress and anxiety quite fascinating because everyone struggles with stress on any given day. And I know that life in, a, in of itself is quite stressful. Like you got work stress, you got relationship stress, you got emotional stress, you got all these stresses that come into your life and you're trying to figure out how to manage it. And you 100% hit the nail on the head with social media and how social media is so impacting to our stress. It's, you're right, everyone makes it so, this is what I want you to see. I'm not going to allow you to see the bad days, the bad stuff. And I was speaking to Dr. Judd about this as well this morning, actually, funny enough. It's to do with everyone seems to focus on the past. So what you've, what you've posted before, what are you going to post now? And what are you going to post next? And it's almost like you're, everyone's like craving, okay, they haven't posted in a while. Why haven't they posted in a while? I've been following you for ages. Come on, come on. And they almost feel like you're doing them a disservice. It's like, I can't like, I can't click that like button or I can't see with my own eyes what you were posting, regardless of if it's motivational, if it's just, part of that person's life right i had um i was in a relationship the last year or the year before as well which ended pretty badly but she would always focus on the what ifs i never understood that i would always focus on the what is you know i'd make plans for the future but i wouldn't be stressed over the fact that it hasn't happened yet i would always focus on the now and being in the present moment because of what, what, what is was more important to me than what if, because it hasn't happened yet. And she would always say to me, oh, Jay, that the what ifs keep you grounded. I said, no, 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 they don't. They make me more stressed because it hasn't happened yet. I never, and just trying to get me to the, that point of seeing that the what ifs are still important than just the what is. And I was like, well, yes and no. <laughs> I don't know how you feel about that either, man. But for me, I just found it more stressing. And I was trying to get out of that place of not being stressed too much. And I think if a lot of people were to focus on the here and now, just being present with themselves 
and whether or not they want to take psychedelics and that's completely up to them. But I think just getting to a, a new conscious level of um, just digging deeper and asking yourself the questions, well, who really am I? How, how can I help people? Like, but firstly, you can't help others unless you help yourself first. And, and knowing that is the, the key to, to moving forward, I think. Yeah. I mean, knowing yourself and helping yourself is everything because you can't help other people if you're falling down, you know, it's like you can't get up, uh, figuratively speaking. And so, um, I think that's super important. And, uh, the, what if I think that could be two ways, you know, it depends on how someone's perspective is. If they're saying, what if this happens in a negative context and that's all they're focusing on, then yeah, that's not going to be helpful. But if you were to think like, what if this happened in a positive light, you know, mm -hmm. it's just reframing it, that could be inspiring to someone that could, you know, emotionally charge you in a positive way. But it just, it just being self-aware and knowing what's working for you or not is, is the key. Not everything that I see that works for me is going to work for you. It's going to work for Sarah It's going to work for, you know, John, like it's just about being self-aware and taking the time to look inward. And that's what I've been learning the last three and a half weeks is by not trying to externally educate myself, doing a lot more journaling, a lot more meditation, uh, a lot more just sharing information like outwardly and having conversations, the more I've been learning about myself and learning that I don't need these certain things. And then I can think of something in the future as like, you know, what if this happens in a good way? You know, when someone says like, oh, well, what if, you know, what if, um, you know, I go broke? And it's like, what if you don't? What if you, you know, have this crazy idea and it works out well, or like your business takes off. Like I find, and this is going back. I think we talked about Buddha's brain, the book uh, last time, but it's like yes. one of the fundamentals of a human surviving is the, the stick analogy. It's like focusing on fear. Cause that means survival. And although pleasure can mean survival, it's not as powerful and doesn't trigger the brain and the chemicals the same way, because it's, it's not about survival. Like when you're always thinking of, you know, what if this happens in a fear sense, that means protection. You know, if you're always worried about that, that, that means survival to your body. But today's society, we create with 99% of fear that is not anything to do with our survival. And that's just how we live today. And we, if we're not aware of that, we don't know. And that's why majority of people are unhappy with what they do because they're fearful of taking a risk for what they want for whatever reason it is. And rather than thinking about, you know, what if, what if this worked out, you know, like what would it take to make this happen? They think of all the negative scenarios and that's the brain in, in action. It's trying to protect you. That's the ego. That's survival. Mm. Yeah. You're totally right, man. And I don't think I need to elaborate on that because you explained it perfectly. Uh, but the ego is such a hot topic. I think that we should endeavor to dive into, um, so as, as men as well, we have an ego. I think everyone has an ego at some point, but men, especially we're conditioned to, you know, be the macho man, to be the one that uh, carries the burden and, and does the work, you know, it's, it's that conditioning. And the moment that ego is challenged, we balk at it or we, we don't want it to go anywhere. But there's a, there's a saying, I don't know if I told you the last time, but it's the saying that I have, it's in failure, you learn humility. So don't be afraid to fail because humility is 
in essence, one of the most important character traits of any individual because no one likes being with someone that has a powerful ego and it overpowers them because then that makes them feel belittled and not feel valued at all because that's what ego does. It's ego is about me, me, and me, nobody else. So learning to control that ego through humility and just realizing that you're not better than somebody else and to really focus on, once again, being grateful for the fact that you have them in your life. And that helps you get to a place of, of just something else entirely, man, just a place where you're truly happy. You're not dissatisfied. You're not... Um, doing a disservice to anybody else. You're, you are being the sort of person that is going to build other people up. And that's not an ego thing. That is you actually genuine. It's a authentic mindset. So. Yeah, no, hundred percent. I think the more I'm learning and diving into the subconscious, the unconscious mind, like all these things to me, the ego is the unconscious mind. It's the subconscious. It's, it, it, people refer to the ego as being, you know, um, what's the word like overly confident, like cocky or macho or this or that. And if you think deeper than that, <laughs> if you think deeper than that, rather than judging someone for, and this is why I used to do like, Oh, that dude's a dick or she's whatever. Like rather than doing that, think of what's going on in their mind that they feel the need to protect themselves by being overly obnoxious, by being an asshole, by being loud, it's, it's an insecurity they have. There's something that was triggered and that's what, you know, uh, their unconscious mind chose to do to protect themselves. But the more you can pick yourself apart and think about and realize why you do certain things, like why you, you know, your ego comes out and tries to protect you in these moments, why you react in this way, which is your unconscious mind. Like that to me, that's the ego. The more you can learn about that and learn about yourself you can make a decision consciously moving forward if that's what you want to do, if that's who you want to become, if that's who you want to show up as. And if it's someone calling you out in your shit and then you get all like, no, like screw you, man, like you're all defensive, that's your ego and work. That's an insecurity you have and your unconscious mind is challenging or is being challenged and it's coming out trying to protect you from that because that means you're not going to look at it and expose it and change. And as we talked about last time, change is resist or there's resistance to change because it's uncomfortable. Because the chemicals that have conditioned you to be the way you are are no longer being produced and you have a withdrawal effect. And that's why you're going back to your past, present self and creating the same reality each and every day. That's all your ego. That's all your insecurities coming out and you trying to protect yourself. And that was a game changer for me. What is I, when I learned how someone you know talking shit about me made me upset and made me... Th- I was like, why? What what about me is that challenging? And you go back to your core principles and your values as a human being and what you want to do. Like it was, it was harming my emotions. And so my unconscious mind triggered me to react or to say this and to like try to belittle them. And we talked earlier about, you know, Gary Vee put out a video the other day. He always talks about this, but it's like there's two ways to build a building. You can tear others down and build yours, or you can just build yours taller, you know, or there's two ways to build the tallest building, you know. And that's something that people overlook and it's because they're coming from an insecurity perspective they're coming from a lack mentality and that's a lot of people there's so much abundance of everything to go around if you look at it that way and you believe in that and so so many people focus their time and energy 
trying to tear other people down, trying to be protective. Like that is their, their ego, their unconscious mind, rather than learning about yourself and accepting yourself and then making the decision to improve yourself. Whoever is doing whatever over there, their building's 10 foot tall has nothing to do with you because you can build yours as big as you want. If you put, you know, put in the time, get the resources, educate yourself and all these things. And I think that's like one of the most important factors of us human beings is to learn our personalities, learn why we think the way, the way we do, why we feel the way we do, why we choose unconsciously and consciously to do the things we do. Because we mentioned earlier, your being doesn't just affect yourself. Your being affects everyone you come in contact with, whether you recognize that or not, because your energy is contagious. People pick up like the whole like, oh yeah, he had a weird vibe or like, I didn't, you know, did you feel like those are real things that people will say a woohoo or whatever, but they're real. Like in science, because everyone needs proof is showing these things now. And so if you show up as, you know, your worst self one day, because you had X, Y, and Z happen as an excuse and you weren't conscious, you were letting your unconscious mind choose for you. You're in autopilot. Like you affected the other person, maybe in traffic, maybe at the counter, you know, or the opposite. Maybe you could have changed that person's day or life because you showed up with intention because you learned about yourself and you didn't let, you know, that person cutting you off affect you because you thought, wonder what kind of day they have. Then you look and they got kids in the, in the back, they're yelling and screaming. And you're like, oh, that person is an asshole trying to cut me off. That's what we do. We make everything about ourselves. And yeah. when you're in a stressed state, your focus narrows. And so you're only on self. But when you become more loving and more appreciating and more accepting of yourself, your, your focus narrow, widens, broadens up. And you can see different things. You can actually have the energy to take a moment and say, I wonder what's going on with that guy. Wonder why he just told me the fuck off for no reason. Like, I don't think he meant, you know, no one wants to be a bad person. It's just all about context. And I think that once we learn more about ourselves, we can start to understand and have empathy for other people. And you've also got to understand, like, this could be the way that that person was brought up. Like, I don't know how you were brought up or you don't know how really I was brought up, but you got to, I think, being more understanding of, okay, this person probably doesn't know any better. And I think just having that mindset and asking, okay, well, it's okay. Um, let's try and work around that. Let's try and uh, educate people that there is another way and here's why there is another way. Because a lot of the time, it's easier to hate. It's easier to go towards that negative energy sphere. But it's almost like you're fighting on any given day to be positive. It's harder. And that's why a lot of people, they sort of give up on it. They're like, oh, there's no point anymore. There's always a point. You just got to mm. see. You got you to take your, your, your narrow, focused mindset, open it up a little bit, you're right. Be more accepting of a lot of things because if we were to accept, the problem is that acceptance is hard. <laughs> like when you, <Yeah. laughs> you boil it down, like accepting loss, accepting uh, trauma, accepting pain, accepting all these things that come into our life on any given day, that is a challenge of actually accepting. This is the way that it is. I cannot change it. I can't go back and, and, and change what I said or what I did. So understanding that and really, truly deep down inside, 
knowing that you cannot change it. And the only thing you can control is what you do now, how you feel now, and your actions moving forward. Accept that and then move forward with grace, not with uh, anger or frustration at the fact that you did do that. But forgive yourself, accept yourself, accept, accept other people for the fact that they are who they are, and know that you can't change them unless they want to change themselves. But don't worry too much about that. But I think also focus on you, you, can't, you can't tell people to change. You can only inspire them to change. But that, that decision has got to become within themselves. And that's what I realized, you know, a couple of years ago, I was a very angry person, very frustrated young person, didn't understand who I was, didn't know exactly what I wanted to do at, out of life. And I was just going, coasting a little bit and I was so focused on my own self-image so to speak that if you told me that I looked a certain way I would get angry get frustrated and literally lash out at the person because of what they said about me it was not a good place to be in I didn't accept me for me I didn't accept that this was uh my life at the moment and it needed to change i didn't want to accept it because change is hard and i hated change so it took me going into the hospital for eight days for me to lose all my dignity everything that i held dear to me in that eight day period and then even after for months afterwards trying to get get to this place of accepting, okay, well, this is really who Jay is. And that was probably the hardest thing I've ever had to endure of figuring out, okay, well, what do I want to do? And I was still trying to figure that out last year. And when I finally figured it out, Josh, I kid you not, it was like this massive weight was lifted off my shoulders and I realized that's it. It was in front of me. I always uh, referred to it as these doors. You know, so I had so many doors open for me, but the right one had remained shut until I saw it. And once I saw it and I made a beeline for it and I opened it up, it was the best door that could possibly have opened out of the others. But I didn't know it was there until I had learned to see that it was there. Yeah, no, that's amazing. And that's, that's so important is because acceptance means to let go of control, which is an insecurity of not feeling safe. And you mentioned, you know, our childhood forming our, you know, mentality and like, that's, that's been shown in neuroscience, like zero to 12 is when your personality is really conditioned and zero to seven is when it's most susceptible to taking in information. And we don't, at those ages, we don't learn from words. We learn from observing and how we feel and the vibrations of, you know, words being said to us and what we're witnessing. And on that note, uh, Breaking the Habit of Being Yourself by Dr. Joe Dispenza, that book is phenomenal. But then also a Disney cartoon called Inside Out that came out like four or five years ago. It's it's this, you know, childhood cartoon or this, yeah, this child cartoon, like taking this this girl from being a baby and like going through all the changes of, uh, mar- like her parents being married and divorced and changing, you know, schools and moving for work and this, this and that and how memories are made and forgotten and emotions are taken and like all these things. It does a really good job as a kid's cartoon to show this stuff. 
Um, but yeah, like, like you mentioned, like when you accepted and let go of the control, you accepted that you're in control of yourself. And that's a big part of the resistance that comes up with looking at ourselves and trying to accept ourselves is because then we know we have to make a choice once we know ourselves and we know what, what we're doing is not getting us the results we want we have to accept accountability and change, but change is so difficult as we mentioned earlier. But once you do accept your reality as a manifestation of your personality, that door does narrow down to that's the right choice. And the weight's lifted, you know, it just makes so much sense because it's, you're, you're taking responsibility for you and your life. And that allows you to move forward in a way that's going to best serve you. But if you're, you know, always taking the the easy route, which is the victim route, um, the negative route, because it's, it's, it's survival. It's, it feels good to the body. If you're always taking the easy route, it's, it's going to be harder in the long run than trying to do the hard work now and delaying gratification with the understanding and the faith that the process is going to pay itself off because that's uncomfortable. But even though it's undesirable to feel negativity, to feel pain, to feel suffering, all that it's, it's known. So it's easy. And it, it's just a game changer once you accept that that's what you're doing and you go from the victim mentality and the victim seat to the driver's seat of your life. But that starts with consciousness and acceptance. And then once you do that, then yeah, you can find the right door. It's right in front of you. But when you're in that victim mentality, you're in that stress state, your mind is so narrowed onto self. No matter if Tony Robbins is telling you he's got the answer and a million dollars for you waiting for you, that's not going to resonate because that's not where your mind's at that level of energy is too far beyond what you can comprehend. And that's, I think, why breathing is so important too. I'm learning more and more about changing your state with just breath. And like people make meditation so complicated. I did that. And then when I started learning, it's just a matter of just being focused on your breath, just being aware that you're breathing, belly breathing rather than chest breathing. You can really tell if someone's stressed out by watching them breathe and if their chest is doing all the work. Um, that's a really easy way to see if someone's stressed or if you're stressed yourself. Um, but yeah, that's the easiest way to change your state and then new information can come in. And that's why uh, I love Kerwin Ray. He always talks about like, if you're feeling stressed, that two things, that means there's uh, growth going to happen. You're going to have a breakthrough soon when you're getting that stress and overwhelmed, but also take a minute, go take a step away, breathe, go meditate, go do some, you know, I'm about to get into Wim Hof breathing. A buddy of mine is obsessed with it and he keeps telling me about it. I'm like, all right, great. But like, that's the easiest way to change your state of being is just by your breath and being aware of it, whether you're doing deep, slow breaths, if you're doing a certain breath technique or whatever it is. I'm about to speak to someone that actually is a coach for the Wim Hof method. Oh, cool. Uh, that's at 12 o'clock today. So I'm really looking forward to actually speaking to her, but she's in, uh, she's in somewhere. I think she's in Threadbow in Australia. So she's, um, in, in New South Wales somewhere. Uh, but I just, I, I agree with you on the, the Wim Hof method, 100%. I hate having cold showers, but for some <laughs> reason, having like a cold dip in the ocean or something like that, it's different. Um, I think because the shower, you can control the temperature yeah <laughs> whereas the ocean you can't so it's like you're jumping in and you can't change the temperature when you're in the water you're stuck so actually having that ability to just not be able to change the temperature and just go and do it in the first place that's powerful 
because then you're taking yourself out of that fear factor of, and the control factor of I can control this uh, back part of my life. And then I'm going to take myself out of that and do something that is going to be completely different. And it might teach me something. And I liked how you were talking about the two roads and the person that takes the easy road, there's no value there. The person that takes the, the harder road, there is value. There is, there is learning. And even though it is painful at times, it was designed specifically to grow you. But the person that takes the easy road doesn't grow. They don't appreciate what they have. They don't, um, they don't get to the same place as the other person does. They get to, they're not even on the same level anymore. They're so far behind. And that's what easy roads take. They may seem easy, but in the long run, they don't have the same impact. They don't have the same meaning as what the hard road does. And I think I'm at the stage of life at the moment where I, I've taken the hard road every single time, not by choice, but by circumstances. And I realized, you know, I got into that victim mentality a few times of asking God, why did you do this to me? Of all the people in the world you could have done it to, why did you do it to me? You know, why have I had three almost near-death experiences? Why have I been to hospital more times than I can count on my fingers? Why did you end this relationship with this person that I had put my entire focus and energy into? But now looking back, I think to myself, I'm glad that I went through all that pain, that suffering, because now I can relate to a lot of people. Now I can help people and say, look, it's not bad. It's good. And here's why it's good. If you can see my life as a living testament of helping people and having to go through all this sort of stuff, then definitely use it and, and know that it's important to go through all this, this pain. It may hurt for a long period of time, but once you get out of it, the freedom that you have is just undescribable. It's hard to describe it. So no, I, I definitely understand. And that's like, to your point, you know, leading by example, that's everything, you know, not teaching theory, but teaching from experience. And you mentioned something earlier that just came back into my mind, but like being the change that you want to see, not trying to control other people, but by leading by example, by working on yourself, it's an insecurity when we want to change other people. And that's a, it's a hard pill to swallow, but like, even if you care so much about them and you want to change for their better, you're judging them but that should reflect on you and think about what is making you feel like you know better or you know best for them. And so just leading by example, you know, a lot of people, you know, I don't know my purposes or this or that. It's like, I haven't found it yet. Well, go try things, go, go see what you like first. But also if you don't have a defined purpose, that's this, you know, big thing you think it is, your purpose should be to be the best version of yourself every day. Cause that's going to lead you to a higher purpose than yourself. Simple as that, but you got to lead by example. Mm. 100%. Couldn't have said it better myself. Now, Josh, 51 minutes already. Jeez. <laughs> Our conversations go quick. <laughs> they do, man. They do. And I, I thoroughly enjoy them because we go deep. And I, I love going deep with people. I think there's more, more meaning in that. Uh, I don't think I asked you last time, but you've got these tattoos. And what do those tattoos mean? 
Oh man, I so I got a couple of tattoos, but um, the first one right here it says across my arm, "Fears is a thought," and then my other arm, "Thoughts can be changed," and that's just a reminder to me that literally we can change our thoughts, and that will change our chemistry, that will change our biology, that will change our physiology. Um, but it's a conscious choice, and when I learned that, it just made so much sense, and it opened up so many of the right doors for me, and allowed me to close all the doors that weren't serving. Um, and then I got another tattoo on my left forearm that wraps around and it's, uh, it's like an Alice in Wonderland theme. Uh, the scene where she walks into the caterpillar with the, um, this one, we got a hookah, but I forget if he actually had a hookah or it was just like a normal pipe. But anyways, all the mushrooms and, drug. <laughs> and he's asking her to eat the mushroom and he's asking her, you know, like, who are you? And it's a really pivotal moment where she just starts to like really see herself for herself. And so in, in the, the, you know, the design, we, we put a pocket watch in there. Cause that's a big part of, you know, Alice in Wonderland as well, but we have all the different, we have like three, six, nine, 12 o'clock kind of pulling away from the clock. And then we got different arrows, West and East directions, all that kind of pulling away just to fit the theme. But in the middle where the, it would be a dot with the, you know, the arms of the clock, we have a money symbol. And so all that is to represent that money, time, and like just like the material world doesn't define me. And I don't define my purpose and my efforts moving forward by that. So to me, this whole uh, tattoo represents like who I am and who I'm not. And um, yeah, it's just, so it's a, it's a work in progress. It's been a minute, but, um, and then on the knuckles, we get a, it says euphoria spelled Y-O-U-F-O. And um that comes from one of my favorite musicians, Mac Miller. He has a song titled Euphoria and it has a lot of different meanings, but um, the meaning I took away from it and what, you know, he's getting at, and I've read about it and like, it's a play on drugs and also love. Um, but finding, you know, the sense of euphoria and joy um, in another person, but also yourself. And so my girlfriend and I got um, the same tattoo at the same time, but she got it in the actual handwriting of Mac Miller on the album art, um, smaller written in um, one of her sleeves that she has. And I just, I know I want to do some more stuff across my hands. So I got it across my knuckles and, um, and down my back, I have a whole piece that's pretty descriptive, but it tells my story left to right from my upbringing to the brain tumor diagnosis, my BMX career on the right. And in the middle, we have Dave Mira, like a silhouette of an iconic version of a trick that he does, um, kind of subtly hidden in the background. And then a bike chain that makes a heart through all of it. And then it says mirror forever over the top. And then it's got like my family name on the left and the word transcend on the right. And just kind of all comes together. Um, and this, you know, the life I left on the left or the left. Yeah. The life I left on the left to live in BMX on the right was thanks to Dave Mira. And he inspired uh, that journey for me and that career and that, you know, 17 years of my life and it, it progressed to where I'm today. So that's another work in progress across my back. But yeah, I was 26 when I got my first tattoo and then just kind of been going since. My older brother's got a sleeve and then he's got two tattoos on his chest. So he's got a picture of our old German shepherd on, on his chest close to his heart uh, because Joy was someone who was one of our, our past German shepherd dogs. She died in, we had to put it down July 18th. Uh, January 18th, sorry, of uh, this year, which was very, very difficult. So my brother went out and um, got a got a tattoo on, on his chest. And then he's got, I think, a Cherokee Indian on his arm, a wolf and a lion 
which is pretty cool. So the significance of that. Um, Mum, if I ever got a tattoo for myself, if I'm living in the house, I know she'd kill me. Because <laughs> uh, she doesn't like tattoos at all. But if I was to get one, I get always joyful across my, across my chest, close to my heart. And then I get on my, on my arm, uh, I think it's be uh, persistent and then consistent. Mm. So, Love that. Both of those um, on there. And then I think on my knuckles, I get B or something like that. I don't know. Don't, don't know if I do the knuckles thing, but I, the arm, the arms definitely. Yeah. Well, you got time to think about it. I had thought about mine for years and then just felt right. And then my back was my second tattoo, actually. And after Dave Muir had passed, um, I had the idea forming for the last few years based on the bulk of it. And then when he passed, a little bit of time went by and I was like, I know how to complete it. And that's when we incorporated him. So it's, it, for me, it took me 27 years and a lot of thought goes into every aspect of them. So, uh, I know uh, when it, when it makes sense and it feels right, it'll be uh, good timing. I was going to put, um, I always liked the, the dragon, you know, so I was going to put like the dragon, um, or the, the tail starting from the arm and then going to the back of my chest and then the, the actual head of the dragon right here on, on my chest, like. I mean, I spread out my wings, uh, the arms that you got the wings and all that. Pretty yeah. Cool. Yeah. That's crazy. <laughs> nah, <laughs> it's, it just, nah. I, might well, I started out with the words. It took me an hour total in the words and the forearms. And then I went from there. <laughs> yeah. I think if I was to do something, it'd have to have actual meaning to it. Like the always joyful is the saying that we did with our, our last dog because her name was joy. So mm-hmm. I'm, I've always been a joyful individual because that's my, that's my choice. Yeah, I love that. Now at least, so that's why I want to use that. And then I've got a saying, be persistent to remain consistent. Mm-hmm. So maybe I might have be persistent to remain consistent. I don't know. Yeah. Figure yeah, I mean, it, some people have tattoos just because they're cool. You know, they like the design or the picture. And some people, you know, like sounds like, you know, what you're thinking and what I do is like a lot of meaning and some people a lot more meaning. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's no right or wrong. It's just, you know, if it feels right, it feels right. Cause it's permanent. Well, unless you get it covered up, but. Um, Josh, man, been an absolute pleasure once again, speaking to you. I feel like we can go for another hour. if we need to. But well, like I said, man, anytime you want to chat, just let me know. I, I love having the conversations and I appreciate the time and I appreciate the you know, conversation authenticity. So yeah, if you want to schedule another one in a month or two, let me know. Cause I'm always down. I don't like this part because it means, sadly, we have come to an end of yet another incredible story. I just want to say thank you to all of you for tuning in and listening to our guest today. It is my prayer that you would have felt inspired, motivated, challenged in some way, and that you would have learned something new as well. If you'd like to hear more amazing stories like this one, you can do so now by searching up the story box on any podcast platform. It's that easy. If you did get something from our guest today, please share it around to a friend or family member that you think could benefit from hearing this powerful story. And before you go, please leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It will only take 30 seconds and it will go towards reaching more people. Let's start changing lives through powerful stories like this one. Your support is greatly appreciated. Until next time, when we dive back into the story box, I'm Jay Fansom, and don't forget, 
Your story is worth more than you know. I'll catch you next time. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com.